0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church. We'll begin right now with a prayer to the Father. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you rescued us when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. When you were our enemy, you gave us your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. He was buried and you raised him from the dead on the third day. So whoever simply believes in this, believes in your Son, is our Savior. And you give him eternal life. And you declare him righteous in your eyes forever. Father, this morning we would ask that the Holy Spirit would guide and direct us this morning, particularly at the end when we we bring into remembrance the death of your Son, the Lord. We would ask also that we would be able to concentrate on the Word of God today as it's being preached. We also ask, Father, that it would touch our hearts and that we would live the rest of the week in light of the uh, truth that you've opened into our hearts this morning based on well, all that will be going on today. We ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Okay, schedule note. We uh, will not be having service four Sundays from now, Sunday, May 29th. So i want to give you plenty of notice um, for that. And as I mentioned in the prayer, we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper at the end of service today, as it is the first Sunday of the month of May. Believe it or not. Okay, let's get started. Uh, this morning, um, we are, our title, as always, usually, anyway, comes from our passage, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. We're in John chapter 10, starting in verse 7 this morning. If you would turn there now, John chapter 10, starting in verse 7. Sure, good there. Man. Okay. What's going on? Feedback. Getting feedback? I'll all okay. I haven't even ta- started teaching, and already we getting feedback from the no, message. You're the, uh, you're the only mic that's on. I'm the one? So, what could I be doing wrong? No, no, you're not. It's okay? It okay. might be. Uh, yeah, might be static on the line or something. Yeah, be, okay. Sometimes that happens, yeah. All right, well, let's do it. John chapter 10, starting in verse 7 this morning. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to kill, steal, and kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd. He was not the owner of the sheep. Sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd for this reason the father loves me because i lay down my life that i may take it up again no one has taken it from me but i lay it down on my own initiative i have authority to lay it down i have authority to take it up again this commitment i received from my father now as we saw last sunday okay the chapter 10 begins With a figure of speech, remember, first six verses on the basis of sheep herding, a very, um, very common sight at the time in Palestine. And uh, we saw that it's Jesus introduces several figures. He's going to now make use of them. See, on on the one hand, we're going to see we saw that in verse six, that uh, most of the audience that he was giving this picture to didn't understand the meaning of it. So he had to explain it. On the other hand, because that happened, now we have the opportunity to know more about Jesus Christ. So that's the that's the reason why he lays this out. Okay, he wants to teach some basic spiritual principles related to his identity first and foremost. So again, there's a, uh, a figure of speech. It's broad, meaning there's more than one element to it. Remember, we saw this picture last week. And this is a pic- this is the picture that he paints, basically. And um, remember we have we have figures here well known to the Jewish people of that time. We have the shepherd and his sheep. And we have all right, let's see if I can do this again. Yay! Shepherd, oh boy, that's terrible. Sheep. That's terrible. That's okay. Shepherd and his sheep, we have uh Sheep folds, here's the, here's the sheep fold going partly around, it went around all the way. And it's got a door, central right today, that's what we're gonna be talking about, this door or gate, depending on the translation. And then over here, we have a representative of thieves and robbers. Okay, so those are the elements, I wanted to show you this picture again this morning so that you can uh, remember all of this and can orient to that framework again today. But again, we have several figures, I'll say them again, shepherd and his sheep. The sheep folds with its door and then thieves and robbers. And Jesus presents all of that in the first five verses of chapter 10. And so at that point, we see that the shepherd is standing outside the door. Door hasn't opened yet for the gate of the sheep pen. His own sheep are in the pen. And you can imagine that they are staring at that door. Waiting to hear the voice of their shepherd. Then and then the action started in verse three. The shepherd arrives at the door. Doorkeeper lets him into the fold. He's coming in now through the door. The sheep recognize his voice as he calls them by a special name. And he leads every one of his sheep out. And when they are all assembled, he then goes to the front and leads them to the pasture. Now we also saw that who the thieves and robbers were last week. We saw that they're religious leaders who were supposed to be taking care of the flock, but they weren't. They were fleecing the flock. They were only concerned with their own interests. Not only that, but when the true shepherd came, they persecuted him. They mistreated the sheep. And those those people were the chief priests and Pharisees. All right, which which again and again in the Gospel of John come on the scene to be confrontational, persecute. Shut down as much as they possibly can. Jesus and his ministry. Those are the thieves and robbers. Those people, all right, The religious leaders. Now they heard Jesus describe all of this, but they couldn't grasp what he what the picture meant. This was a frustration that Jesus had over and over again. These misunderstandings. He would talk about water in, in, in the sense of the Holy Spirit, and they wouldn't get it. He would talk. He would talk about br- his body and. His blood being bread and wine. And they didn't understand the significance of that either. Again and again and again, this happens. Particularly in the Gospel of John. This is another example of that. So they didn't understand. What, what, why is he telling us about sheep and shepherd? What does he mean by the gate or the door? And so forth. Who who are the thieves and robbers? It's kind of funny because it's them. And they didn't pick that up either. So our passage today, starting in verse 7. Jesus now Proceeds to explain that figure, and as we saw, you can remember from last week, we also saw this that there are two. Okay, there, he picks out two of the of the figures that are in, what he painted, as it were, in words. The first one's the door, and that's what we're going to look at today. He zooms in on the door and he identifies himself: I am the door. Okay, there are seven. I am statements where he then see, he has a what they call a predicate. But it's not simply I am. I am was the was the personal name for, for God, the Lord in the Old Testament. Right? But in seven cases, he says, I am something like I am the bread of life. Remember, I am the the light. OK, so here we have two more. I am the door of the sheep. I am the, the good shepherd of the sheep. Those are going to be the two metaphors that he uses, the door and the shepherd. And as we've seen, and I'll just focus again this morning on the fact that there's a very simple thing he's doing. All right. He is he is basically identifying first with the door, then with the good shepherd. And in so doing, he's going to teach things about himself, but he's also going to teach things about the sheep. And um, and really the best way to understand how he's using these two images is to see it from the point of view of the sheep. All right. And that's why you know, there's some question, why would he mention the door first? And the answer to that is because if you're, a, if you're one of those sheep and you're in the, in the fold, what are you doing? You're looking at that door until the shepherd shows up. And so that's first in, in the consciousness and the perspective of the sheep. That door has to open before our shepherd comes in. But when it does open, he will be there. So this morning we're going to see again why Jesus calls himself the door Of the sheep, not a door, but the door again, look at verse seven of chapter 10, John chapter 10, verse seven. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, there's that expression. Remember, truly, truly. Okay, it's related to what came before, but it's going to be a turn. And he's going to make sure that they're hearing and focusing on what he's about to say. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep all who came before me are thieves and robbers but the sheep didn't hear them i am the door repeats that if anyone enters through me through jesus he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture that's the, that's the situation with the door okay we'll see what he means by these two things when he talks about being saved and going in and out okay we're going to we're going to see that one of these is a one time event Others are daily or supposed to be daily. And then verse 10, the negative, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That should have for us kind of go back and hearken to chapter eight when he talks about you are you are like your father, the devil. Right. He was a liar from the beginning and a murderer and so forth. So the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that the sheep may have life. And have it abundantly, right? So in the Greek, it's they have life and and have life abundantly. So verse 7, Jesus, once again, as I mentioned, uses this expression, truly, truly, to start his explanation. Now, that's quite a moment. I want you to think about it. Until now, he'd been describing a pastoral scene. Sheep in the sheep pen, the shepherd in the door, and the thieves and robbers. I guess that pastoral scene was sort of disturbed by the, the presence of them at the end. But now all of a sudden, he makes a bold, bold statement. They weren't expecting this. All right. If, if we were if we were reading this for the first time, we wouldn't expect it either. All right. Sometimes, by the way, that's a very useful way in Scripture. Right. To want to get pretend you've never seen the passage before all right? and just take it fresh and you'll see things that you maybe wouldn't see or forgotten. If you just say, oh, yeah, I've read that. I know it's the door of the sheep. So that's what he makes. He makes a bold statement. Now, he doesn't say, I am a door of the sheep. He says, I am the door of the sheep. I and no other. I am the door of the sheep. I and no other. But what do he mean by that? Why the door anyway? Why an inanimate object? Why did he first identify himself as the door, as the gate? Why didn't he start with the person there, the shepherd? And again, you, you see the answer as soon as you look at things from the perspective of the sheep, because they encounter the door first. Until that door opens, okay, nothing happens good for them. They're in that, They're stuck inside the pen, okay, they're waiting, they don't have any freedom. I mean, if you're in a pen, it's like being in prison. They're not they don't have any food because the food is on the other side of the gate. So that's their situation. And now, of course, they're waiting. They're watching that door. You know, it's like we got a dog a couple years ago. I have a home office, so I'm around. And uh, and then all of a sudden, about five thirty, quarter of six, the dog is all upset, anxious. And he starts to do this. He starts to go to the front door. And pace. He's pacing the front door, the garage side, the front door, the garage side. Why? Because he's waiting for my wife to come home. And you see, here's a trick about being a dog owner that I learned too late. The one who feeds them is the one they like the best. Okay. <laughs> so just remember that. If you don't have a dog, you are getting one, So they're waiting. Uh, I'll give another analogy. When uh, my kids were young, I didn't know this except my mom took pictures. Of my mom. My wife took pictures. My mom, too. She's just a they would they would they would wait at the front door of our home to spot my car pulling up. Right. So that's the kind of I wanted you to get a sense of what we're talking about. All right. That's the kind of sense. Waiting, waiting, hoping. When is he coming? When is she coming? Why? Because everything good happens when that door is open. Right. They're going to get rescued from their slavery inside the pen. There's going to be blessing on the other side of that door. There's going to be nourishment on the other side of that door. There's going to be security on the other side of that door. Protection. All of that is on the other side of that door. Why? Because any minute now, their shepherd is going to come through that door. And when he comes, it's a blessing. When he comes, their life can resume. Right? There's no life inside the pen. You're just waiting to live when you get outside of it. There's security. Now, you might say, isn't it secure inside the pen? Well, sure, if it was ideal and there weren't any thieves and robbers going to jump over and kill you, then there would be. But in fact, though, the greatest security that the sheep can have is when they are following their shepherd. Make the analogy, by the way, in the spiritual realm. Right. Protection. It's all on the other side of that door. And any minute now, their shepherd is going to walk through that door and and, and they may not realize this. But because they're just focused on hearing his voice, but nobody else is allowed through that door. Like, that door is only for the shepherd. Okay? Anybody else can't get through that door. So they're going to try to jump over the wall of the pen and come in some other way and harm the sheep. And I say that because in the mind of the sheep, now, OK, the door and the shepherd are one and the same. They totally associate that door with the shepherd. And so when you see it that way, you start to understand, well, of course, he's going to talk about the door first, because that's first. Right. But first and foremost is the door. Look at verse eight. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. Oops, I jumped ahead. We'll go to that in just a minute. But I want to keep that picture now of the fact that there's a door waiting for the shepherd. For them, the door represents the shepherd for my dog. The front door represents Roberta. For my kids, the front door represented that car coming across the road and coming into the driveway. It's one and the same at that point. The open door, see, when that happens, it means what? The shepherd is here. So that so the door is there until it opens. And now all of a sudden they what? The door's been doors done its job. Now the shepherd is, is there, and now that's the that's the main thing. Now the shepherd is here. There's protection now. There's security now. There's food and pure water. In a word, there's life now. Verse 8. On the other hand, we will just read it. It's right there. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. I want you to notice a couple of words here. Okay? The first one is all. We'll get to that in a minute. He said, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. Not some, not a couple, all. Whoever these people are, all of them are thieves and robbers. That's one of the words. The other word I want you to notice is are, A-R-E. Sometimes the simplest, smallest words have a lot of meaning. He didn't say were. He said are. What does that tell us? It tells us that it's contemporary, right? It's around the same time. So he's not talking about Moses or Aaron, right? They're pretty much contemporary, and they're still on the scene now. Right. They are thieves and robbers. So that now we start to understand, OK, there are people that here now we know from the Old Testament that the, the, the thieves and robbers were the bad shepherds. Now it's starting to come together. All are thieves and robbers. What he's doing with the all and the are is that identifying a certain class of men, a relatively small class. OK, all of them are thieves and robbers. He's talking again about the religious leaders in Jerusalem. They didn't get to be religious leaders unless they were really good at being thieves and robbers. Because remember now, this we're nowhere near the design of the Lord and his will when it talks about who were these uh, religious leaders at that time. It was a very corrupt system. Okay, We can relate to that when we think about what religion does all the time. Religion is always corrupting things. Right. You do know that Christianity is not a religion. Right. You guys are on that. Right. It's not a religion. It's The opposite of religion. Right. So religion. Now man is in the center. Now there becomes traditions. Now there becomes perks for the leaders and so forth. Now there's this drift away, a father and a father away from the truth. That's who we're dealing with here. So a certain class of men, every one of them were thieves and robbers. And again, as we've seen, these are the religious leaders in Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus called them hypocrites in the Gospel of Matthew. He said they're full of robbery. He was talking about all of them. He didn't say, woe to you, all right, James and Bill, right? He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, the whole bunch of you, right? Full of robbery and self-indulgence, devouring widows' houses. All of you do that. All of them do that. You know, there's, it can be a conspiracy that works inside a religion where there's the inside and the outside. And the inside can do whatever they want, and then the outside is supposed to hear about it, right? They have their own club, okay, and so that's why it's all, you know, they're all doing it. They're all in this club, okay. So in any event, that's the class of people he's talking about when he says all who came before me, the ones that robbed the people, right? Robbed them of their freedom, put them under bondage, robbed them of their money, and perhaps worst of all, robbed them of the truth. They just they they replaced the truth with the traditions that they had teaching his doctrines, the traditions of men, robbers, thieves. They were indifferent, even hostile to their their job, which was to take care of, tend to the needs of the sheep. There could be absolutely no greater contrast between those religious leaders and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's going on here. Okay? there's this. Hundred eighty degree opposites going on, all right between the shepherd and the thieves and the robbers. Okay, who are the sheep? I huh? Us. Well, y- y- ultimately, well, yeah, ultimately, all right. But but at this time, right, you have to ask yourself a question. Okay, we're all are all of the sheep oh, throughout. Are they all listening to the shepherd? No, right just think about it in terms of when jesus is there and he's every time he describes something preaches something says who he is i am the father the father sent me i have no words except the ones the father gives me we saw that most of the people heard no way some of them went as far as to say he has a demon right he's not from god so most of the ones who heard the words didn't weren't his really his sheep so who are they well, quite simply, from an Old Testament perspective, there's was called the remnant, the remnant of Israel. OK, who is the remnant of Israel? Well, they're the ones who believed in Christ. It's always a small minority, folks. In every generation, you'll see this. There was never a point in time when the whole nation, right, was oriented to the word of God from the very outset. Right. I mean, think about the first generation. Right. The founding generation. Generation of the nation of Israel. You think of any one uh, generation would have been spot on, 100%, it would have been that one. But you know, none of them ultimately, almost none of them, went into the promised land. And that's a pattern that has been repeated ever, ever since. When, when Jesus was born, okay, there was a small group of people, okay, who were sincerely, with an open heart, anticipating the Messiah coming. A very tiny group. All right. Now it so happens that you know, Mary, Joseph, their relations, um, John's, you know, parents, John the Baptist. But they're a small group. We know that again because of the reaction. That now remember, we have to we have to believe and hold on to the idea that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is their Messiah, whether they want to accept it or not. He is from God. He is speaking the words of God. It's the same Lord of the Old Testament. All right. So and lining up completely with the Old Testament. So they have no excuse. Right. The only the only thing they have is they have a a hardened heart and their own agenda. Right. They're more interested in getting their own glory and getting remember the Lord's glory. Much more interested in what other men are saying about them than what the Lord is saying about them. And that's the majority. Every generation it is. And it's by the way, it's not limited to the Jews. It's, it's 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 as true, if not more so, of the Gentiles, right? The Gentile, well, because for one thing, at least there was a, a and I'm talking about before Jesus came, right? And, and at that generation, remember they were they were separate from God. If you're a Gentile, you're way on the outside. There was a wall of separation. Okay, but again, I don't care whether you're in the in the nation of Israel time of God's plan or you're in the church time. It's always the same thing. It's always a small minority. That are, that's why it's called the remnant, the remainder. Right, A remnant is a small subsection of the original whole. Those are the sheep. Those are the sheep. It's only they're the only ones that recognize the voice of Jesus as the voice of God. That's what he wanted, right? He kept saying, I, I'm not here on my own accord. I've been sent by the Father. The words I'm giving you are are really words directly from my father that he has asked me to give you. Okay. only the sheep heard that voice and knew it was the voice of the Lord. Not only that, but the voice of the Messiah as well. Please turn to John, chapter 10, verse 25. John, chapter 10, verse 25, towards the end of this chapter. This between verse 18 and verse 25, okay, there's a there's a few verses an in interlude where you're getting the, the once again the, the division between the Jesus audience and so forth, and then there's a time shift to the to the uh, winter feast when the dedication, all right, and then that but we go back to the sheep starting in verse 26. We'll see that John chapter 10 verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you and what you do not believe, not the remnant, the works that I do in my father's name. Notice that again in his father's name, the works that God gave him to do the father. each testified of me. Right. And we saw that with the man born blind. <laughs> he knew a miracle had occurred that immediately he realized that this is this can't be the way that these these uh, Pharisees are talking about Jesus. Of course he's from God, right? Why? Because he heard the voice. He saw the works. and He recognized. Only God can do that. The works that I do in my father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe. Why? Because you are not of my sheep. You see, the sheep hear his voice and believe. Uh, those who are not of his sheep don't do that. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me don't don't take this in terms of an order of events right people make a big deal of the idea well he's saying that you know first of all they have to be their sheep and then they believe it's that whole calvinism thing forget that in a sec all he's doing is describing the reality okay who are the sheep the ones who believe in me who believe in me those are my sheep okay it's just describing the reality it's not saying this first and this second same thing here in verse twenty seven. My sheep hear my voice, it's definition, and I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, which is that is eternal life. Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that ever believes, simply believes in Him, will never perish and has eternal life. I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. That is a great statement of what we call eternal security. Once you're saved, you will never be taken out of the hands of not only the Lord Jesus, but also the Father. Now, of course, before Jesus came, remember, he kept saying, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. You see, the sheep didn't hear that. Most of Israel did. okay, but the sheep did not. Again, the small minority didn't want anything to do with what they were saying. Because they knew that they didn't have their authority from God. It came from men, but didn't come from God. The sheep didn't listen to that. Why? We're going to see in a minute why, but I'm going to give you the statement first. Because those guys, the elders, the chief priests, they didn't the scribes, They didn't speak with the authority that comes from God. And you want to know something? The sheep knew it. They recognized it right away. You want to know why? Because when the true shepherd came, they heard him and they said, that's, he's got it. Whatever it is that we've been looking for, the voice that we've been waiting to hear, it's his voice. I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. See, see God speaks with a very unique Peculiar, I could put it that way in a good sense. Voice. And he speaks in the Old Testament through the prophets. He speaks through Jesus when He was here. He speaks through the 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 writers of the epistles, and it's a very unique voice. And it's a it's a voice that was recognized by the sheep, okay, by believers. You know, there's so many things. I had an experience this weekend. We had a memorial service for my mom in Rhode Island. And I had some pressure. I, first of all, they wanted a Catholic priest. Like, let me set this up. okay? But the, they dropped the ball. Because okay? I'm, I'm not a Catholic, obviously. I'm not going to go out and get a priest. okay? But if you guys want a priest, great. Get a priest. They, they, they blew that one. So the time came. It was a couple of weeks before. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? I said, well, you know, I am an ordained pastor here. So it turns out that I had this opportunity to preach the gospel. But ahead of time, I had some pressure not to. I mean, these are your own family. You know that they're Catholic. Kind of right. But, you know, in a case like that, it's just like it's just like a, the Jews at the time. You can you can be totally focused on people which would say, oh, don't do it. They might get upset. These are his brother and sister, blah, blah, blah. Or you or you can go in prayer. And the Lord says, oh, no, you're giving it. Right. So and that's what happened. But here's the thing. The people that knew the gospel already were loving it. They were hearing it. Why? Because they're the sheep, right? The other ones, you would hope that they would hear it. But most, let's be real. Again, that concept of the remnant. Most of the time, there's a hostility to it because they don't hear the voice of the true shepherd. There's just too much in the way or they don't want to hear it or they're listening to other voices anyway. Or they're so fixated on the, on the, on the rules and regulations and their worldview and their and their society, that they're not even listening. They could care less. The best thing that can happen, by the way, in a situation like that is that they get really angry at you. The worst thing you can do, the people that sit there nicely and nod, because they're the ones that aren't listening to you at all. Okay, the ones that react, they only at least let the message come in, right? I'm getting off track a little bit, but the point is, I want you to look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 28, thinking about the voice of the true shepherd, how the sheep recognize it instantly. And they recognize the difference between the one having authority and the one that the ones that don't look at Matthew, chapter 7, verse 28. When Jesus had finished these words. Notice this. The crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority. And not as their scribes. That's the difference between the one who is the shepherd, right, has the authority from God. And you know what? If you're open to that, you can't miss it. You know, if you were to, it's kind of hard now, but if you were to look at it, actually, it's not that hard now. If you were to get some of the writings of the rabbis, okay, and you look at them, and then you come and you put that side by side, the Sermon on the Mount, you would you would see it right away. Okay, Why? Because the scribes were saying, well, you know, such and such and such a one said this and such and such a one said that. And, you know, we're going to make our own decision about that and blah, 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 blah. It's all about men. okay? All about their opinions, their thinking. Jesus doesn't do that. Right. He comes on the scene and and he's just straight right out. Right. You, 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 You have to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, they had never heard that from a scribe. Okay, so proper authority. He had it. Not only that, these are the ones that didn't. Okay, they don't have authority. But then in the Gospel of John, I have this out of order. Go to John chapter 6, verse 66. John 6, chapter 6, verse 66. I'm making a contrast here in between some who didn't have the authority from God, the scribes, and the Pharisees, and the one who did one who did. And I want you to see again this whole idea of the remnant happening right in front of us here in John chapter 6, verse 66. As a result of this, now this, remember, this is the setting where Jesus is saying, you know, um, I am the bread of life. You know, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Okay. Now again, um, most people are going to turn off on that right away. You know, I can't understand. What are you talking about? Cannibalism, blah, 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 blah. Right? So many of his disciples walked away. They couldn't, they couldn't stand anymore. This guy is off his rocket. What is he talking about eating? But there were some, right, who, no matter what he said, they would hear it and they would trust that there's meaning behind it. Most no. Even now we'll see this. Even his own disciples, many of the ones who've been following him, weren't following him anymore when he talked about that. Verse sixty six. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew, and were not walking with him anymore. That's it. So Jesus turns to his closest disciples, the twelve, and he Jesus said to the twelve, "You do not want to go away, also, do you?" So it was, it was, it's a really pivotal moment when you think about it. You know, from a human point of view, like if you were watching this. In the life of Jesus, in a movie, right, you have the sense that this could all fall apart right now, because if he loses the twelve, that's it, right, from a human point of view. But that's of course not what happened. Jesus turns to the twelve. He says, "You do not want to go away, also, do you?" Simon Peter, the, the kind of the leader of the apostles, answered him. Notice what he said: "Lord, to whom shall we go?" If we don't follow you, we got to follow some scribe or some Pharisee or some false Messiah. You, we're not, we're not. There's nowhere else we could go. Why? You have words, the voice of eternal life. They recognize that Jesus had that voice, those words, the message of eternal life. And then notice verse 69. We know they're his sheep. Why? We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God the Holy One of God. Simon Peter and 11, all together of the 12, heard that voice, knew who he was. Okay, let's go back to John chapter 10, our passage this morning. And we're going to pick things up in verse 9. John chapter 10, verse 9. I am the door, repeats himself. If, notice this, though. Now he, he, he he's going to bring on the scene. Why are you saying that you're in the door? Notice, if anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Anyone enters through me, the door, I am the door, Jesus, enter through me, right? What's the only way for the sheep to get to the place of life through the door? Okay? What's the only way? that the shepherd is going to meet up with the sheep through the door. If anyone enters through me, notice he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I am the door. This is an exclusive statement, right? He didn't say I am one of many doors. He didn't say there's a front door, there's a back door, there's an emergency exit. Right? No, I am the the one and only. If anyone enters through me and no other way, he will be saved. You see, you see, the rabbis and the scribes and the Pharisees. Believe me, if you were to read their writings and hear what they had to say, there were many different ways. Right? Well, if you follow this law, you're okay. If you don't follow it, but you do this, you're still okay, and so forth and so on. That's, by the way, always religion. Religion will always do that. One of the ways you can tell it's religion is that there's that there's a confusion, right? There's a confusion. I mean, if you were if you were a Muslim and you guys, if you wanted to know, you know, how do I get to paradise? Okay, well, there would be a lot of things and there'd be it'd be like, well, you know, you have to do all these things. You know, you have to make a pilgrimage to Mecca. You have to give alms to the poor. You know, in these days, you'd be great if you were a suicide bomber. Now, where did that come from, by the way? You think that was, even in their false religion, that wasn't originally there, right? So you have all these men that are rule makers and exceptions and Catholic Church, Oh, you know, I pick on it because I know the most about it. They have that marriage, right? You can get married, right? And, you know, divorce is a sin, right? I mean, believe me, the Catholic Church, divorce, forget it. Oh, except, I'm just going to lay it on the line, except if you're rich or powerful. Then we have this separate process for you. It's called annulment. Now, they made that up. Okay? That's what I mean about, you know, there are many doors. If it's false, there's one door in Christianity Jesus Christ. If anyone enters through me and know the way, he will be saved. Turn to John chapter 14, verse 6, to hear this another way, because it's the truth. And it's fate said again and again and again. And this is what we're fighting right now in our culture as never before. Our culture, our society, okay, the world as a whole wants to be at, was tolerance, right? They wanted to say, we, let's all get along, right? Let's, I mean, it's been gone for a while. Let's have the United Nations. And somehow or other, if enough of us say, you know, if we just get together, we'll have peace, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but, but, but in order to do that, you've got to put your religion aside. Christians, man, you've got to stop what you're doing. Because, you know, why you're talking about an exclusive thing here, there's only one way, and it's Jesus Christ. You know, that's unfair. What about the poor Muslim? What about the atheists? What about this? What about that? You see, we're always going to be sort of pressured. We're always going to be set aside because of the exclusive claim that we have and it's really narrow if you think about it of all the people who ever lived of all the books that were ever written there's just one there's just one book the bible there's just one savior jesus christ it's a very exclusive thing you know it's it's the opposite of of what most people want to say there's many roads to god right we're all the same right so we're not Again, John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, "Okay, one of his apostles, Philip, I am the way. I am, and here's another shocker, I am the truth. I am the life. No one, there's that exclusive again, comes to the Father but through me. That's a bold statement to make. I mean, I mean if, if I were the apostle in the upper room, one of them, and listening to that... I would realize that this guy is either out of his mind or he's the son of God. He's saying that there's no other truth besides me. Think about that. Right? No. And we know he's 100% the truth. He has 100% veracity. Every word that comes from the mouth of God is our food. I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. This is the door. When Jesus says He's the door, that's what He's talking about—access, right? Eternal life, the Father, true living. Okay, that's that's the door. It represents the one and only way through which the sheep must pass in order to be saved. Just one. Now, any other way? There were other ways, right? You could you could uh, have the thieves and robbers coming over the side. Any other way? And you could picture it that. If they're they're outside following their shepherd, there were distractions, there were temptations, wanted to stop along the way, a couple of the sheep wanted to wander off, but any of those other paths, besides the one laid out by the shepherd, one is a path that leads to destruction. That is not only true of sheep, it is also true of the human race. Any other path besides the one laid out by the Lord ultimately ends up in destruction. By the way, this is this is the message, the lesson of the book of Ecclesiastes. Okay, it's Old Testament, I'm not talking specific, it's talking about the Lord of the Old Testament, but basically Solomon who had access to all kinds of ways to happiness, ways to satisfaction, right? And he, what he actually did was he went down all those paths. Not a smart thing to do. But it's good that he did, because now we have the documentation. If there was anybody who could have gotten satisfaction out of money and riches, it would have been Solomon. If there's anybody who got satisfaction out of the idea that I'm going to build a legacy, it was Solomon. I'm going to get satisfaction out of having all kinds of women around, it was Solomon. In other words, all of the alternatives that people turn to besides God, right? Solomon did. And at the end, he came back and said, all of that that I just described to you is vanity. There's nothing there. Even he even talked about books and scholarship. And if you think about it, these are the things that people dedicate their lives to. There's nothing wrong with any of them until you're saying that's the ultimate. Right. When that happens, he said, it's ultimately vanity. There's nothing real there. Only one place. And that's the way of the Lord. So you can read Ecclesiastes if you don't believe me, but there's one way. Any other way, any other spiritual path, right? All these people have spiritual gurus today and follow this. And it's true in Christianity too, quote Christianity. You know, you read this book, this guy's got this new method, Or you know, and all of the cults. And you just think about it. It's incredible. All the different doors, false ones, pathways that are held out to people. Right. This is why this is why we should have compassion, by the way, on the unbeliever. They're lost. And everyone's over here in some other corner or doorway saying that we got it. We got the way one. One. Any other way that's held out to the sheep is a path that leads to destruction. Let's go back to Matthew, chapter seven. Uh, Matthew 7, we're going to verse 13. If you recall, a little while ago, we were also in Matthew chapter 7, verse 28, 29. That was when it was over, when he was was there. And then the people were amazed at all of this and said, he's got authority. This is totally different from what we've heard from the, the scribes. Today, you could say this is totally different from the academic world and how they approach things. For example, a religion. Right? On the one hand, on the other. Well, notice one of the things he said before that. And you can see how how, how exclusive this is. How bold it is. Notice. Master Matthew seven thirteen. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. Narrow gate. Jesus. The one door. That's the narrow gate. The way is wide, and, the, and the, uh, the gate is wide. The way is broad that leads to destruction. Any other way ultimately comes to destruction. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. I've lived my whole life for what? Jacob, in the Old Testament, came to the same point in his life. He had realized that he had a, a, life, a miserable life. I mean, if you read the life of Jacob, it was a pretty miserable life until the end. And yet, he was the Jacob of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He had the whole thing from his father and grandfather if he wanted to just turn to the Lord and have happiness. He never did until he was very old. And he looked back and he said, what a fool. What a fool. It was right there, and I never even took advantage of it. Don't, 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 let, don't let that be you. Don't, don't, don't follow a path. And you, by the way, know better now, right? Because you are hearing the word of God, Okay. Don't follow a path when you know at the end of it leads to destruction. I can't think of anything more insane, actually, than doing that. But you see, it's only by the, the truth. OK, that will be laid out to you. You won't get that message. You won't get it on CNN. You won't get it at Harvard University. You won't get it anywhere else on the commercials. You won't get it on the, on the travel people that want you to they say, listen, you know, at the end of your life, you don't want stuff anymore. You want to tell everybody where you've been. See, the, the, the key to life is traveling, right? The key to life is having a bucket list and filling it all up, right? What does the Bible say? Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. You know, you think you're going to go on all these trips and you've been waiting your whole life, working your butt off, and now finally you're, you're 70 years old and you got all this ability to go and then you take your first trip and you and you find out when you come back you got cancer. Ooh. That wasn't in the plan. Right? Ooh, I had all this money but I gave it to the wrong financial planner and it's gone. Right? Remember Jesus said one time, you know, make your investments in heaven where thieves can't get at it and rust won't destroy it. Okay? Enter through the narrow gate. For so the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. There are many who enter through it, right? You, you will be standing out like a thumb if you don't, right? If your priorities are godly rather than earthly and worldly. Many oaths go that way. Verse 14, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few who find it. But, but, but here's the thing. Is it is it that the gate is is invisible that they no you know why few find it because few are looking for it that's why few find it okay they're not looking for it they're perfectly happy with the wide path that they're on they're never they're never looking for the the one real thing right part of that is because they've been hooked they've been they've been hoodwinked by the world but you know what the end of the day. At least, I don't know, but, but I know my total experience has been there was always a sense that I need more in this category. It's nice, you know, it's great that I, I went to school and I got a lot of A's and stuff, but where am I now? I got to do something else. I need another fix of success, right? You never quite feel it. And so, so, so that's why if you're paying attention and, you, and you're humble enough Realize you don't have all the answers, that there is a God in heaven, that he probably knows what he's doing, right? You might be looking for the gate. Otherwise, you won't even look for it. This must come first. Why? Because we're talking about salvation here. The gate is narrow, right? There's one way to salvation It's Jesus Christ. That's primary. That's number one. The sheep must first be saved. They must be rescued. They must be rescued. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. You want to know why your life isn't working out? It's because you're a dead man. As long as you are in life according to the world and according to the flesh, you got to be saved. Look at the Acts chapter 4, verse 11. Acts chapter 4, verse 11. Again, the narrow gate, the narrow way, the one door. Acts 4.11. <laughs> These are the verses that will really get you in trouble when you're witnessing to your unbelieving friends or family. Because that's the, that's the thing, you know, and that's the thing that people say about us. Right? Ah, they're troublemakers. They're narrow-minded. That can't be true. Right? Who are they to say there's only one way on that? By the way, you know, we're not saying it. I hope you understand that. Our opinion is no better than anybody else's. It's God who's saying it. It's the word of God. That's why the power in witnessing is always the word of God. Okay? It's not your take on it. It's not your ability to debate. Okay? It's not really even your experience, your testimony. There's maybe a place for that. But in terms of the power, it's always just in the word of God. It's so simple. Just speak the word of God. It's so simple. Acts chapter 4, verse 11. He is the stone, these stone. Which was rejected by you the builders. Talking out of the again, he's talking to that crowd. The, the 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 elites, the Pharisees and so forth. Was rejected by you, the very builders notice that. And get, which became the chief cornerstone. If you're a builder, if there's one thing you gotta get right, it's the it's the chief cornerstone. If that if you got the wrong one, then you're not gonna the building's gonna fall down. And they call themselves builders and they never found they ever saw that this stone, Jesus Christ, a rock. They didn't. They rejected it. Verse twelve, though. And there is salvation in no one else. Ooh, there it is—that exclusive claim. There is salvation in no one else. Did I say that this morning? I mean, I spoke the words. Was that my opinion? No. Whose opinion is that? God's opinion, right? Jesus' opinion. That's the way you got to handle it. That'll give you strength. As soon as you get. Uh, To the point where it's your word against somebody else's, your experience against somebody else's, you've had it. But as long as in your mind you say, this is 100% solid because it's not my words, it's God's. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men ever by which we must be saved. But here's the exciting thing. You only need to pass through the door of Jesus once for salvation. Just once you find it and you pass through it. That's believing in Christ by the way, that's believing the gospel, and yet the door is still there, right in our lives we pass through it to be saved the first time we believe in Jesus, He is the door. the only way the entrance to the Father into, into heaven into the eternal life, salvation is through Jesus. That's what we just read in chapter eight Acts chapter four, verses eleven and twelve. But the door's still there. Why? Well, because there's still only one passageway to real nourishment. What am I talking about? You know, I'm not talking about hamburgers versus filet mignon here. I'm talking about the word of God, which is living and powerful. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every day, right? I mean, I mean, yes, you find your shepherd, right? You know, if you're a lost sheep. And then your shepherd, hey, I'm finally with the shepherd. I walk through the door. But every day, you got to eat, right, as a sheep. You got to have water, clean, pure water. You need protection every day. Well, so do we. As long as we're here on earth, we need all those things in the spiritual realm, okay? We need the armor of God because our enemies aren't just thieves and robbers, right? They're what? The spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We can't take them on ourselves. We're little sheep. They're like wolves, bears, and lions up there, spiritually speaking. So what do we need? Every day we need the shepherd. And guess what? Every day we have him. By the way, he's in you. Christ is in you. And you are in Christ. Now, if that's not protection, I don't know what is. But that's the one passageway to real food, spiritual food, Real clear water. That was another image from the Old Testament. He says, hey, I have the clear running water here. And you guys keep going into the polluted wells. That's a spiritual concept. Saying, you know what? Pure word of God. Refined seven times. Here it is. Yet people, Christians now. No, I don't have time for that. All right? I'm going to watch CNN today. Or whatever happens. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read all of this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to sleep in. I went to, went to the, you know... Whatever last night I was home late. Really? So you're going to go drink from a polluted well today when you had this, this running, living water. The shepherd gets you to the clear water, to the good pasture ground, to real protection, to real rest. All right, let's finish up. John chapter 10, verse 9. John 10, 9. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. One shot deal. Okay, but then, and we'll go in and out and find pasture. That's every day. That's blessing for the sheep each and every day. Now, I'm going to just go through this. I'm going to give you some scriptures in the interest of time. Please write them down. You can see it. I'm just going to tell you the concept here. When it says go in and out, that's a Hebrew idiom. It's a Hebrew expression, figure of speech, we might say, come and go as you please. That might be the way we would say it. But go in and out is a Hebrew expression that refers to the, the free activity of daily life. Right? Real freedom. in daily. Not everything about daily life is freedom. But there are things that are. You have the ability to go in and out in your life. Daily activity. And there's freedom in some of that, hopefully. Right. And that's, again, the spiritual application. If you want freedom, become a slave to Christ. That's true freedom. Okay, in the interest of time, we're not going to go there. If you would just write these passages down, and you can check them out. Numbers 27, 15 through 17, Deuteronomy 28, verse 6. Now, all these are uh, passages with expression in and out, okay? You can see. It's really talking about life and the, and the, the course of life, what, what's going on in your life every day. So you need the shepherd every day. You need somebody to point you to the real pasture, the real nourishment, the real clean water and so forth. Oh, and there's one more you can write down. Psalm 121, verses 5 through 8. Got it? Everybody? Okay, good. Okay, let's keep going now. John chapter 10, verse 10. Last one this morning. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. By the way, notice how uh, how uh, exclusively bad that is. Only. Okay, I want you to think about that. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. People out there that are trying to take you away from the path of life in the word of God in a relationship with Jesus Christ, okay, they're only doing that for their own selfish reasons, ultimately, right? They if, if they're first in a certain area, they want you to be with them so you're second, right? And they can feel good about themselves. There's always, a, unfortunately, you know, there's always an ulterior motive and maybe subtle, it may take a while to see it, but it's always there. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, Jesus, now, that they may have life and have it, abundantly. Now, what's happening in verse 10 is that there's a, he's wrapping up with the door and he's starting to, t- to, t- to set up for the good shepherd. Okay, just That's just kind of the function of, of verse 10. Speaks to what's come before the door, what's about to come next, the good shepherd. The difference between the thieves and robbers and Jesus, the door, is the difference between death and life? Death and life. That's pretty extreme. That's the thing about Jesus. It's always crystal clear. <laughs> you know, there's no wiggle room. There's no oh maybe. It's a little gray. He says, no. "I'm the only way to life. Every other way is a way that leads to destruction. That only steal, kill, and destroy. Me, I come for give you life and leave it abundant. Life abundant. Life." The robber takes life. The, any shepherd should be protecting life. But be one good shepherd gives life. See the difference? Yeah, you, know, you, can, you can protect life. Now, see, see, in a sense, that's the role of the pastor, right? That's the role of, of actually all the elders, right? Maybe all of us for one another. But the idea is that, okay, we've been given that life. We've been given the spirit. We're supposed to preserve that, right? So... But where does the life come from? The one good shepherd. So I want you to get a sense death and life. All right. When Jesus says here in verse 10 that he came that they may have life, he's referring to eternal life. Okay. That's why you see this. The, uh, words are not wasted. If the, if the Holy Spirit put them in there, there's a reason. When he says, I came that they may have life, he's talking to eternal life. Eternal life. Okay. Then when he goes on and he says, I came that they may have an abundant life. Now there he's talking about daily living, walking in and out, our daily life. He's talking about blessings of the spiritual pasture. That we can have blessings every day. That's what he's talking about. Life abundant. And what he's saying is, is that there's an eternal life. And you have that. Okay, and you won't understand the full significance of that until you're with the Lord. But what he's going to do is he's going to make your life more abundant than you could imagine now. So you kind of get a sense and and, and he wants you, you know, look, we have one life where we get to grow in Christ. Right. And that that's significant. You know, life can be so meaningful when we live it according to the word of God. And we've got one life to do that. Right. As Christians, we're going to be in heaven forever. We're going to have eternal life forever. But what we don't have is an opportunity to glorify the Lord by growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, being built up by the word of God He's saying that's an abundant life you can have now. That's what he's talking about. Things like eternal security now in time, spiritual food being built up and nourished by the word of God, contentment, contentment, right? Hope. Right. Rest. You can have that every day from God's word. Eternal security, security forever. You know, social security. I don't know. That's not real secure. If I'm looking secure these days, securities, you know, investments, securities and exchange commission. I don't see much security. I see a lot of exchanging in the wrong direction. So there's no security anywhere in life. I don't care what you say. You can insure the insurance to the to the insurer, but you're still there's a there's going to be a gap, a loophole. There's some attachment that you forgot to read and you're not going to get the money. All right. You can have eternal security. You do have it if you're a believer in Christ, but you need to know about it and so forth. And wrapping up today, I want to see how Paul put it in Romans five seventeen. Romans 5, 17. Paul, of course, Romans 5. Romans 5 is a great chapter to witness on. Because it says it like it is in the sense of saying, you know what? Someone might be willing to die for a good man. Right. But only the Lord Jesus Christ will die for his enemies. Okay. When you were still hopeless dead. Look Mm -hmm. at Romans 5.17. For if by the transgression of the one. By the way, that's Adam. Death reigned through the one. That's why we're born dead in our sins. Much more. I, that Those are beautiful words. Much more. There's the abundance. Much more those who receive the abundance of grace. You get grace every day in your life is available. The giving, the blessings of God up in abundant manner. There's that same word abundantly. And of the gift of righteousness. Notice this. I love this one of my favorite expressions in the word of God today. I have a lot of favorites, will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. That's now. Okay. This is God's design for you and I every day of our lives to be able, no matter how badly it's going, to go to that place where you can have rest of your soul, go to that place where you can be built up again, know who you are again. You're an adopted son. You're going to live forever in a perfect place. Get built up. Right. Abundance. And that turns, you can reign in life. You can rise above. You can just kind of cruise on. Not that you're not in pain. Not that you don't have any empathy for anybody else. But there's a place you can go where you can get strength to go forward. Reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Okay, let's get ready for the Lord's Supper by praying right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for our door. The Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that through him and only through him our men saved, and have access to you. We thank you that you offer to us now an abundant life day by day, a life of meaning, a life where there's not vanity, there's not destruction, spiritually speaking, but rather growth and love and peace and rest. We know that we have the Holy Spirit inside us, and we, when, the, when the combination of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God it is unstoppable. We thank you that you did all of that. We're just the beneficiaries. We ask now, Father, that we would have a time where we can reflect on the one event in human history that provided for these things, which is the death and resurrection of your son. So help us to concentrate on that now through the Lord's Supper. We ask it in Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, if you would, at this time, just make sure you have the elements so that we can... Celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning together. it says in verse 11 of chapter 10 we'll be there next week I am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep that's what we're bringing into mind today the fact that ultimately the ultimate statement of, of, of him being our shepherd of his love for us of his care for us is that when we were dead in our sins he died for us and we were still helpless at the right moment jesus died for the ungodly including us again maybe someone would die for a good man but god showed how much he loved us because while we were yet sinners christ died for us help us to understand father now that now that we have been justified by the blood of christ we are your children we know that we will be saved from the wrath Through Jesus Christ. And and if while we were enemies. We were reconciled to God. Through the death of his son. And we were. Much more having been reconciled. We shall be saved by his life. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We proclaim his death. Until he comes again. Christ is the good shepherd. He laid down his life for us. While we were his enemies. He told us. That we should bring bring into remembrance that his death when we gather together and, and, and celebrate this, this this simple meal of bread and wine, bread in the cup, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, "This is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me." In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And as often as we eat this bread together, drink this cup together, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have fed us with this morning with, with your word. with bring you into remembrance the death of your son. We ask now, Father, that we would take to heart that what it means that your son is the door, that we would, that we would orient to that again and not be distracted from anything else, but understand that he is the only way to life. And help us to live that way. Help us to be able to rise above our circumstances. By realizing that, this true abundant life in the path that that you have laid out for us through your son. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. With that, you're dismissed. Have a great Sunday afternoon. And of course, as always, Bible study on Thursday, 630. Be there, be square.